Welcome to Total Teen Health and Wellness, the podcast for parents of teenagers to learn more about how medical and mental health issues are affecting their teen children. This is Dr. Shauna Garza, and I'm an adolescent medicine physician, providing essential education and helpful guidance to parents of teens and young adults. This podcast encourages parents to empower their teen children to live healthy and balanced lives. Welcome back, everyone. It's Dr. Shauna Garza, your host of Total Teen Health and Wellness. Today for episode 16, I'm going to go over contraceptive care options for teenagers. In my practice, I take care of many older teens and young adults, and I see patients of all genders until they're in their late 20s and even 30 years old. Many of them are sexually active, and so we have very candid and open discussions around contraceptive care, and I want to go over today kind of what the current options are, what that looks like, and how for patients to get the care that they need. As you know, recently the Supreme Court made a decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, which limits women's access to abortion as a way to manage their pregnancies and to manage their own health. And I have many teens and their parents who are very concerned about this. Parents know that their teenagers are having sex, and so they want them to be protected. I encourage open communication between parents and their teen children and vice versa. When I'm seeing a teen patient privately, for example, who discloses having sex and wanting to get on birth control, I encourage them to open up those doors of communication so that they can have their parents on their side and supporting them when they need their help. And that's one thing I talk a lot about with teens is if they're ready to have sex, they really have to be ready to talk about these things with the people that matter, including their own partner and their parents. If they, you know, have a consequence or complication of having sex that they need guidance with. So where we are right now in Texas is that because of the recent Supreme Court decision, Texas has completely banned access to abortion as a way for women to manage their health. I have many teens that are wanting to discuss birth control and get on good birth control. There are a couple things that I encourage in my teens. I tell them, if you are having sex, you have to be on birth control, that it really is non-negotiable. And that's where, if they've disclosed to me, I encourage them to get parents aware so that they can help them have access to birth control. I tell them that it only takes one sperm to sneak through, and that changes everything, everything for them in their life. No matter what decision they make around that pregnancy, it changes everything. And so if they're ready to have sex, they have to be ready to manage birth control and prevention of pregnancy. So we do talk about healthy sexuality in teens, and I'm going to dedicate next episode specifically around the ideas of healthy sexuality in teenagers, and so I'll just kind of gloss over that today. But, you know, essentially we tell patients that being in a committed relationship is lower risk to them, 
and making sure that they really are ready for sex and they've communicated with their partner what they're ready for and they're comfortable with and that that is all respected and heard and reciprocated. First off with contraceptive care, in general, we want patients to be using condoms. And we encourage patients 100% of sexual encounters. That if you're going to have sex, and if there's going to be contact that's intimate in your private area, penis, vagina, there needs to be a condom 100% of the time. So, you know, this also relates to oral sex. I'll tell patients this is not just a birth control measure, but this is also a sexually transmitted disease measure to prevent STDs. And so we really believe that anytime there's intimate contact, there needs to be a condom. We tell patients, if you're ready to have sex, you need to be ready and able to buy your own condoms. You need to be able to either ask mom to get you condoms or to get to the store and have money and feel comfortable picking them up off the shelf and going to the cash register and paying for them. So many patients get real squeamish around that or real nervous or kind of embarrassed around it. And that to me is a sign that maybe they're not ready to have sex because in order for them to manage their sexuality, they have to do it in a way that promotes their health. And so again, condoms are that have two purposes, of course, we all know this as adults, but the purpose was designed as a contraceptive to prevent the passage of sperm, but also, of course, is the only way to prevent the spread of sexually transmitted infections. So we want patients to be able to get condoms for themselves. We tell patients, you know, it's not about the quality of your relationship. It's not about how much you like someone or love them or trust them or respect them. That using condoms really is more of a hygiene issue. Just like we wash our hands and use toilet paper and wore masks during the height of the pandemic, those are all things we do to prevent the spread of infection. And so condoms really are in line with that. And so I think if patients can hear that, they can understand it's really nothing to be embarrassed about. I'm not being unreasonable for expecting it. It's good that I'm taking care of my health and putting condoms top on the list. But, you know, I think that help support them in their communication with their partner. And as I mentioned, you know, really setting some ground rules in a relationship. And we talk to patients about that, that if there's not a condom, then sex cannot happen. You cannot be having sex where occasionally you're using condoms or occasionally you're missing condoms. Again, it just takes one sperm to get through and one bit of infection to pass that can really change everything for patients. So, We want them to be consistent 100% of the time and really having that open communication with their partner around it. So now let's move into actual birth control that I would prescribe. As parents listening to this, many women have taken birth control. Many men might have had their partners on birth control. Right now, all of the prescribed birth control relates to women, females, because they are designed for females to use to prevent pregnancy. There is talk of a male pill pill being developed, but that's not available or on the market at this time. So I would say the most common 
option that patients choose and that I most frequently prescribe are the birth control pills. Often we just refer to it as the pill. And it tends to be a combination oral contraceptive pill, which is a combination of estrogen and progestin. There are so many on the market now that are different combinations, different doses, different uh, way of taking the pill, but essentially they all kind of work in the same way. And they work by suppressing ovulation. They suppress the ovary function so that the ovary is not ovulating, not releasing an egg, and that is what prevents pregnancy. We fine tune our decision around the pill based on patients' other concerns. Maybe they have acne as well, and so there's certain pills that we like for that. Or maybe they have really heavy bleeding, and so we use a certain pill for that. Or they want to do what's called an extended cycle, where they're not having a period every month. We might use a different pill for that. And so we are looking at what's the best fit for each patient, and then definitely talking through how to take it, how to manage that, and also how for it to be most effective. Now, we know with the pill, there are some failures. Often it relates to patients not taking their pill correctly, where they're not taking it at the same time every day, missing pills, taking it late. That can affect the effectiveness of the pill and can make it less effective. And then, of course, there are other things that patients have as far as medications they take or even illness that can interfere with the effect of birth control. So the pill is a very accessible option for birth control that is easily prescribed and well tolerated. Um, But there is, you know, a little more room for failure with the reliance on a patient taking it and on their own compliance. There are also two other types of combined hormone devices, I'll say, that offer birth control that work in the same way as far as suppressing the ovary from ovulating. And that is the Nuva ring, which is a vaginal ring. It's a silicone ring that's inserted into the vagina and patients manage that. They have to be comfortable placing it and removing it themselves. I've tended to use this more in college age and beyond, but it's nice because it's once a month. And so there's less to remember. They get, they place it, the medicine is absorbed through the lining of the vagina, and then it works really in the same way as the pills do. Um, And there's less to remember because it's once a month. And it also, though, can have medications interact with it, like I mentioned with um, the oral pills. There's a patch. There's only one on the market, and there's a generic for it. But that patch is a small kind of one-by-one square that looks like a Band-Aid, kind of that flesh tone. And that's worn one time per week. Um, You place it one time per week and wear it for the full week. And so that's a little bit less to remember than the pill because it's once a week that you would change out the patch. And so I've used that for some of my younger teens, middle-aged, middle teens that are maybe not as reliable. Maybe some of the patients have ADD, for example, and they're forgetful. And so they need birth control, but they would rather be on something that's not every day. Um, Just to mention, there's also some uh, progestin-only pills that we use. Some patients are not good candidates for estrogen, and so there are pills available that are progestin-only. And, of course, we could talk through that in detail with the patient in the office. Um, On the progestin-only options, there's also the Depo-Provera, which is an injection 
that was used a lot more in the past, but we find that we just have better options available now. So I have a handful of patients that use that for birth control, and that's an injection that's given every three months in the office. And so that requires more frequent visits, and um, we have to have patients make sure that they are getting those on time for them to be effective. What I want to talk more about today are LARC options, and that refers to long-acting reversible contraception. These are the preferred contraception options for teenagers from several different medical associations and doctor groups. What we're referring to are the Nexplanon device, which is an implantable device in the upper arm, and progestin IUDs, which there are several different types of and brands of. One of the reasons that these are preferred in teenagers is that they really are a one-and-done type of procedure. There's improved compliance because those devices are placed and then they are working within seven days and don't have to be taken or replaced again for several years. They also are very highly effective. Both the Nexplanon and the Progestin IUDs are more than 99% effective in preventing pregnancy. And so that's really good, especially when combined with the use of condoms. So I do many procedures in my office, and one is the Nexplanon insertion and removal. Essentially, it's a very narrow silicone rod that's inserted into the upper arm of the non-dominant hand. So if you're right-handed, it goes in your left upper arm in a pretty inconspicuous area on the kind of underside of the arm. It's a very quick procedure. We clean the area, we numb it with a very small amount of local anesthesia, and then we insert it. Afterwards, there's no downtime, there's no suture or wound care or anything like that. Um, And so it's, again, effective within seven days of being placed, and it's 99.9% effective. And it's protecting patients against pregnancy for three years. At the three-year mark, um, it's a very simple procedure to reverse it, essentially clean, numb, and remove the Nexplanon. And often we will replace a new Nexplanon at the same time. So that's something that patients can have ongoing for several years and knowing that they have very effective birth control that they can rely on to prevent pregnancy. The progestin IUDs come in different brands and sizes. The most common is the Mirena IUD, and that is currently approved for seven years of use for birth control. It's also, like I mentioned, more than 99% effective. That's placed in the office, and again, with that, there's no downtime. These are not surgical-type procedures. It's placing the IUD in the uterus, and patients typically kind of go on about their day the next day. I have done those in many patients, and these are in patients that have not been pregnant before. Most of them have had sex and been sexually active, and that's why they're wanting this type of contraception but it's done before pregnancy or after pregnancy. Sometimes we decide which type of birth control will be best for each patient depending on other things that may be going on. Maybe patients have very severe mood changes with their period or acne, like I mentioned, 
heavy bleeding, other period issues, and that will kind of help us tailor what form of birth control they would prefer to be on or what might be best for them. In my office, I only prescribe birth control with parental consent. There are other places like Planned Parenthood that will treat patients without parental consent, but that is not really the focus of our practice in adolescent medicine. And so I want my teens, like I mentioned, to really try to talk to their parents about what they need and what's going on so that their parents can help support them. Most of my parents are very loving, supportive parents to their children, and they want them to be able to manage their health and to protect themselves and to stay well. And so I feel like if I can help facilitate that communication, I'm happy to, or I encourage them to talk to their parents privately so that they can be on birth control when they need it. So I hope this was a helpful overview for you. And like I said, uh, next episode, I'll be going in depth more on how to define healthy sexuality in teens and also the questions that teens should ask themselves to make sure that they really are ready to start having sex. I look forward to next time. Thanks for listening today. If this episode helped you better understand the health of your teen and you're ready to learn more, please subscribe to hear future episodes of this podcast. Consider sharing it with other parents of teenagers. And remember, parents can help their teens live healthy and balanced lives.